this assumes that the dogs would be the forces of good in this situation. And I think if we've taken anything from the Kirby Smarts tenure, it's that if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. And there is no better way to cheat in the SEC than allying yourself with a dark god. Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, a stats focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Nathan. And I'm Justin. And welcome today, ladies and gentlemen, to your Vandy preview. We're going to be following our normal preview format, which for those of you who are new, is we are going to talk about sort of the subjective narratives around this game. We're going to go over some historical data for the game. We're going to talk about some stats worth highlighting, things uh, we want to see, and then just stats that we'll be interested to see the results of. And then we'll be talking about things we want to see in the game. We'll then be doing predictive over-unders for just little... I don't know, weird pride-only prop bets. Um, yeah, it's just a thing we do. Yeah. And then finally, we'll be making our prediction for the game. So, how you doing, bud? Doing all right. Uh, trying to get ready for Dragon Con, getting all the, you know, crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's. Uh, going out tomorrow, Thursday, Thursday evening. And this is the first year that we'll be doing, like, the whole shebang. So... Just trying to get all the work done and all the chapel bell curve done and all the school done. So all the things all at once. <laughs> but it's going well. How are you doing? Uh, doing well. Um, this is weirdly enough my only sort of free weekend of the the mm-hmm. fall. Uh, we have. I don't have to go. I have to go to a. What are you gonna do about it? Uh, I'm gonna watch a lot of college football, like way, way more nice. than normal. <laughs> um, but so let's get into this bad boy. Yeah, uh, let's talk about it. So starting up, we're going to do some subjective narratives. So what do you got for me? What are, what are the narratives so, coming in this game, you think? There are a couple things that I've been seeing a lot of, uh, other than the the typical, like, Georgia's going to do it. Georgia's real great. Zamira White's real cool. Uh, one thing I've been seeing is everyone's trying to speculate as to how many fans, how many UGA fans will be traveling this year, because everyone's kind of likening this back to the, uh, the South Bend trip to Notre Dame a couple of years ago. And so... People are, I think back then, what was it, like 55, 60% filled the stadium, you were pretty sure of. Um, people are saying that the, the highest I've seen is 70% of the stadium will be UGA fans. Yeah, I mean, over the past few years, I've just seen a lot of folks jump on the bandwagon, which I'm not somebody, I don't care if you jump on the bandwagon. If you're like, yeah, that's the thing I like now. I don't care. I want you to do that. You know, we don't yuck yums. But uh, I, I, I imagine that's something that's going on in Nashville. Uh, and it's probably easy to go from uh, a Vanderbilt that is, is fairly lackluster in recent memory over to UGA that you can say, you know, it's your neighbor to the south. And they're a lot of fun. Well, and I mean, they're doing really well. Know, so I'm a fan now, too. Nashville is historically... Not quite as much as Atlanta, but it is historically sort of a migrant city in terms of people coming in mm-hmm. and coming out. Um, there's a lot of a lot of people from Atlanta and Athens live up in Nashville. And what I find a little bit weird about this, you know, particular narrative is not that we're talking. It's not that it exists so much as that we're talking about something that happens every year. I mean, when I was in Van- when I was in band and we went to Vanderbilt, when we were not very good, we still were taking up sixty five percent of the stadium. Yeah, And, you know, I, I heard somebody said that, like, objectively, that the data that we have says that it looks like it's about 69%. <laughs> but to me, that nice. just feels like average. Um, and, 
you know, a, a good portion, the way it is, is like, it's sort of like a modified horseshoe kind of thing. And they put the opposing band in one corner of the horseshoe, if that makes sense. One of the top, like the top of the U yeah. on the on the right side, if you're looking at the stadium from above. And generally speaking, in the two times that I went there with band, pretty much that entire half to quarter of the stadium was just red. So I... I it's it's just weird because it's like UGA fans have always traveled well, and in particular, they've always traveled well to Vanderbilt. I actually I actually kind of low key really like Vanderbilt Stadium. It's a cool stadium, and it's a cool city. It's, yeah, it's right. It's kind of it's not quite right in the city, but you know, it's a relatively nice view. What I like about it is it has a real like old school feel to it. Like you really do feel like you're not in a cathedral. You feel like you're at a football game. It really reminds me of like, I don't know. Just it just brings me back to my youth, to a simpler time. I don't know for something. There's something about it that like, like just the ambiance in the place and how close everything feels like really close together. And at least uh-huh. where we sat, the sightlines were amazing because even the worst seat is actually not that far from the field in comparison to a place like Stanford. Um, and it's actually I, I like it. People people hate on it all the time, but I, I think. More and more as people, you know, I, I think more and more big programs are going to start consolidating their stadiums because of lowering attendance. And I think Vanderbilt will end up being totally fine with its, you know, 40,000 seat stadium or however much it is. Uh, they probably need to update the concourse. But other than that, it's pretty nice. They might have since I've been there. I don't know, concourse wise. But it's, yeah, it's kind of a weird one. So what other subjective narratives are you looking at here? Uh, just about everyone and their brother is saying this is the year. This is the year. This is the one they do it, Nathan. What makes you think the dogs are going to win it all this year, Nathan? I mean... Anything? (laughs) I hate that narrative. I mean, because they're one of the three best teams in the nation, and it doesn't take too many injuries or lucky breaks to make them the first or second best team in the nation. And frankly, like, I, I, you know, I kind of got into this too, and I I didn't actually articulate this quite how I wanted to on our... um, on our season preview, but one of the things that I find interesting about this team is that a lot of the a lot of the reason that you put Georgia, I think rightfully, third behind Clemson and um, Alabama is because what you're saying is that like these three or four things need to turn out, right? You need to have wide receivers step up, you need to have inside linebacker play improve and defensive line play improve, whatever. Right? But a lot of those things are just reliant on what I would say would be like pretty average recovery and our improvement from a few players across the roster. So like it's, it's really interesting. I think that us going to the national championship and even winning it is closer to the center of the bell curve in terms of projected results than people understand. This yeah, is a, yeah, absolutely. This is a really hard schedule. Very possible. We go 10 and two and everybody's pissed off about it, but I think it is not equally possible, but it is pretty close to equally possible that we go to the CFB and winning the college football playoff this year is not like in the it's not in the tail of the curve, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And and even now looking uh I was just looking over the SP plus numbers and kind of our, our strength of schedule. Our strength of schedule has actually gone down based off of Florida's previous performance last weekend. And so our strength of schedule is hovering right around the eleventh mark in our conference which I think is really funny now. Uh, we're right ahead of Alabama. Uh, I think we're 11 and Alabama's 12 right now. Uh, the number one spot belongs to Texas A&M, sadly. 
because they they do after all have to travel to us um in regards to to the the subjective narrative we we just talked about like that headline that i saw word for word makes what makes you think the dogs win at all this year i will say based off of if we are going purely objectively based off of the 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 biggest factors that matter for a team's strength um strength of program in the past five years you know recruiting uh returning production wide receivers and um you know all those pieces that bill Connolly lays out then i will say statistically speaking this is the year we have the best chance this year to win everything in the foreseeable future i would say you know just based off of those numbers alone if we're looking at all that it feels good you know i i don't feel like a like adult saying that there's a good chance we win it this year like i have in the past few years when we were just kind of guessing so at least there's that <laughs> i mean it's interesting because on the one hand uh it feels to me like that the schedule is like a big impediment to our success in a way that is hard to for sure yeah it's hard to totally factor into predictions but alternatively like this is i think by far the deepest and most consistently talented team since Kirby smart's been here and i think probably Uh like overall the most talented is just about the development of that talent but we 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 already did this for like an hour on the season preview so yeah we don't have to do it all over. let's uh speaking of subjective narratives let's get into some like uh winsipedia here you want to talk about winsipedia talk about the historical georgia florida matchup or georgia florida georgia florida i mean i'm I'm always ready i'm always (laughs) always ready (laughs) i'm always ready to go yeah yeah, uh, just a, we like to look over at Winsipedia. Winsipedia has just a breakdown of uh, any two teams that you you stack up against each other and their history playing together. Uh, so we have won the last two games um, that we played against Vanderbilt. Overall, since the beginning playing uh, playing against Vanderbilt, we have won fifty seven of the seventy seven or excuse me seventy nine games that we played against them. Two of those were ties. Uh, Vanderbilt's only won twenty. They have. <laughs> Looking just at this little bar graph here, it's kind of a bar graph that the top half is all Georgia wins, and it's the the bars are higher or lower based upon the uh, margin the, of the victory, score yeah. at the end of the game. And on the bottom, you have Vanderbilt. And if you look here, the the right hand is just about like it's like ninety five percent Georgia red, all the way to about nineteen fifty two. And it it stops there only because Georgia and Vanderbilt didn't play for maybe tw- almost twenty years. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and so, it, I really think it's interesting. Yeah. The largest margin of victory, uh, Vanderbilt actually holds the largest series margin of victory here at 47 to they nothing do. in 1901. Good old 1901. Uh, uh, so, but, but then again, Georgia's largest margin of victory was 45 zero in modern college football. I will, I will say that the two losses Georgia has lost since I've been alive. Georgia has lost to Vanderbilt one, two, three, four times. And yeah. I was at the last three or or five times. Really? And I was at I was at the last three of the five. Which was That's the wild. Vanderbilt loss two years ago in two thousand sixteen, which was brutal and we lost on what I still maintain to this day was a bad call from Jim Cheney, whatever, human sack of potatoes. Um <laughs> then before that we lost in two thousand six, which was Mark Ro- Mark Rick uh Mark Rick's really weird, dumb loss that was actually set up by a very, very bad uh late hit penalty that should have been overturned that that penalty actually led to um like a change in the rules uh and then the other one was in i was at that one with the band and then in 2013 we lost 31 27 to james franklin which was the um the like 
uh, Todd Grantham makes the throat cut sign at Vanderbilt's kicker, mm-hmm. who then nails the w- nails the kick to seal the win. Um, <laughs> so like every time I've been where we have like you know, I, I every time I've been at a game where we've lost to Vanderbilt, it's not just been a loss; it's been a hundred percent absolutely brutal. One thing I will say that's really interesting about this series, like this isn't a particularly exciting game based on these stats and the history of these two programs playing against each other. However, the average ticket price for this season opener is right around $250 to go see this game, which I think is absolutely just baffling to me that you would, I don't know, that's a lot of money in in my mind. Uh, it is a season opener, sure. It is Georgia, sure. Uh, that's just a bunch of money to spend. Um uh, for a game that's going to be most likely uh, most likely a blowout. You know, I, I will not count any chickens. They have not hatched. So um, anything else subjectively? I mean, you know, it's interesting because like it's it hasn't been a quiet off season. Like we've had a couple of arrests. There's been a lot of hype. But for for whatever reason, I think Georgia is in the position that like Ohio State was last year. Where it was like they're really good, but what about George? What about Alabama and Clemson? And I think that's kind of where yeah. Georgia is. So like, there's not a lot of like narrative coming into this game. Now, having said that, when we get to the Notre Dame game, it's going to be insufferable. But uh-huh. still, so do you want to talk we'll about see. some stats that we're looking for? Some good statsy goodness. Let's look at stats worth highlighting. What you got coming up? Um. Well, one thing that I find to be interesting is you know. FPI strength of schedule has Georgia at fourth on the year. Uh, and I think that's making some pretty bold assumptions about a bunch of teams. Now, most of those might turn out to be right, but I am interested to see how that strength of schedule changes and morphs throughout the year. Um, in particular, like I think the FPI has Florida overrated a little bit. I think they're a very good team. I'm not sure if they're sixth. Um, another mm-hmm. stat that I think is really interesting would be the um, average projected wins um per sp plus which is not smp anymore it's sp uh which i hate uh but per (laughs) per per plus um alabama has a projected 6.6 conference wins which i think is really interesting and um georgia has a projected 6.2 conference wins alabama has a projected average projected wins overall of 10.7 and georgia has one of 9.9 what i find really interesting about that uh, and combine that with street, the strength of schedule for both teams. Per S&P Plus, Alabama has, 12th, has the 12th ranked and Georgia has 11th ranked. But it's really interesting because those numbers, even though Alabama is per SP Plus the best team by about five points, those numbers do not indicate like a forward-facing prediction that matches up with what the narrative is going into the season. You know what I'm saying? Like, so if those yeah. if those both hold true, and Georgia and Alabama are, are both ten and two at the end of the year, they might be playing for an SEC championship and nothing else. Now, I don't necessarily think that's mm-hmm. going to happen, but I just think that's really, really interesting. Also, I think it's really interesting that, like, you know, the the average projected conference wins coming into the season, uh, Alabama has six point six, Georgia has six point two. The second closest in the West and the third third overall is LSU at five point three. And then the fourth overall and the second in the East is Florida at 5.0, which I think is really interesting because like it kind of indicates to me that SP plus thinks that this is going to be one of those weird knife fighty seasons in the conference where like everybody just stabs each (laughs) other and we're all just standing there like reservoir dogs at the end bleeding out. So I, I, I don't know. That's, that's not necessarily a stat worth highlighting for this game. 
other than the fact that it does feel like that with this strength of schedule and with the kind of tight margin for error that we're working with here, that Georgia needs to come out this week and just effing clobber um, Vanderbilt. So I I also wonder, you know, what is the final score of this game going to be? I, I, I think that Kirby is cognizant of the pressure on him and cognizant of the strength of schedule ramping up very um Mm-hmm. very quickly so i i would wonder like how many deep shots are we going to take in the third you know yeah if we if we were up comfortably which is not for sure but so i guess one of my stats worth highlighting would be the score because i think that's actually kind of indicative of what <laughs> i mean seriously i i think what's that score like yeah i think that that you're right that's, the margin of victory here assuming uga wins the margin of victory here is sort of important for the rest of the season i think mm-hmm. um not just psychologically which certainly it is but also in the sense that you need to look good the whole year because you're probably taking a loss, maybe two with the schedule. So if yeah. you assume best case scenario, best slash worst case, which is that you take two losses, you go to the SEC championship and then you win, which is, I don't think a super likely occurrence, but also is very possible with the schedule. You need to look good from the beginning of the year. And I just wonder, yeah. you know, I, I know Kirby is not a politicking coach or whatever, but I do wonder like, how cognizant of that is he is he gonna run the score up i think that it over you know the next month this is the one game that we will most likely see a score run up intentionally at least yeah because we're not going to play another team again that actually has a yeah i mean more than 30 percent chance of beating us for another month yeah we're not we're not going to run the score up against murray state or arkansas state but no i do not intentionally yeah and i do i do just wonder you know is this like a 35 21 game going into the fourth quarter you know and then it ends as like a 52 21 yeah i don't think that i i don't believe that vanderbilt's going to score 21 points just because they have just named starters um and there were lots of questions there's still a lot of questions about who should be starting and why certain players are starting including their quarterback and so i don't think that they've got their stuff together as far as uh, scoring goes and i think we're going to see kind of a rocky offense from this vanderbilt team this very young vanderbilt team uh especially since we have so much returning talent on our the defensive side of the ball for uga so my own take what are your what are the stats you're looking at going into this so i was looking at sp plus sp plus there's no and anymore the ampersand's gone uh the new sp plus the one of the 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 biggest statistics that it actually throws at you to try and tell you the ranking of all these teams the the points per uh game and it that's a projected points per game above the average team so take your team and how much better are they than the 70th ranked team uh and that's what you're looking at so uh, i'm just kind of curious looking at this and the top three are of course alabama clemson and then georgia uh Alabama being right around 35 points, Clemson being, I believe, 30.1, um, and then Georgia being right at 29.4. And so I'm excited to see how that might change, um, especially with the news of today's uh, big Alabama injury, how that changes their their points per game, how that might adjust based off that injury, because Bill Connolly does talk about how he accounts for offseason and injuries in, in his uh, PPG now. So that's one thing I'll be watching. I know that doesn't pertain to this game specifically, but it is important to me to see how UGA stacks up to that statistic uh, going into this game. And I'm hoping that we do see a game 
like we have in the past few years where we we do score in the 30s and maybe in the 40s i know we, we pull out 42 points in the very first game we pull out 49 points in the very first game and we we see a team that is ready to play in their conference that they're coming out and using this game not just as a first game of the season like we have in the past years and kind of slow rolling through the game but a team that comes out and shows us that these are the things we've changed over the offseason this is what James Coley is going to do. Like, these are the things that we want to see and the fans want to see. And they kind of want to, I'd like to think they want to make some sort of a statement, you know, and as you said, Kirby understands the pressure that that is on him now at this point. And he would like to give them, give the people what they want to some extent. Yeah. And I see, you know, there are three kind of micro stats, I think that relate to that, that I'm interested in mm-hmm. micro in the sense of like their actual stats from the game and not just me making up. bullshit. <laughs> Hit me with them. One being missed tackles from Richard LeCount. It's been a well-documented thing, at least in you know this segment of the UGA internet, that Richard LeCount, despite being a heat-sinking missile bent on destruction and pain, uh, does not always always wrap out. And there, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to talk about this in a minute, but uh, there are two, there are three very, very good offensive skill players for Vanderbilt in this game, and all of them like to take the ball in the flat or across the middle. And I just, I, I'm interested to see if the extra pressure on Richard LeCount from people like Otis Reese, or actually even more importantly, Lewis Sign, if those things have led him to have better form, which I think is possible. He just needs to work on it. Second, um, I really want to, I want to look at deep shots. Like, you know, James Coley would uncork the occasional, very predictable, like second and one deep shot. And sometimes he would throw out the like, you know, like just see what you got him deep shot. And that's fine. And I don't have a problem with that per se, but. I'm interested to see if there are more, you know, we're throwing 15 yards downfield on first down, not even deep shots or like how many actual go routes are we going to use? How many like 20 yard comeback routes are we going to throw? Because I mean, those were, if you look at Miami, James Coley, when he was in Miami, he likes to do the like kind of over under game where he's throwing to the tight end across the middle. And then he's just going deep on top of that, uh, which is like sort of the old, like Mark Richt four verts concept. Mike Bobo for his first concept was to have like the tight end drag across the mid- over the middle and then have four vertical routes above it. And I just want to see if that's an element of the game because it was not, it was not an element of the game under James, uh, Jim Chaney for better and for worst. Uh, and finally, and this kind of ties into that is tight end catches. It's almost become a meme that Georgia won't throw to the tight ends. Um, mm-hmm. Saw a little bit of it last year, but yeah, not and, enough to and so, not make it meme worthy. Yeah. And so it's just really interesting because despite the fact that Georgia's tight ends have been so good and, you know, we're very, very good blockers last year. There have just, there's an element of the game that Mark Rick and Mike Bobo had in uh, the offense for UGA that to this point has not been there under Kirby smart, which is just these routes that very easily like unclog the center of the field. Like if you have a tight end who can, you know, catch a drag five yards deep, you're going to open up the run game. Now, I know that it's two different offenses and there's a lot of schematic reasons that we don't have a tight end because we do have a fullback and blah, 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 blah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not unaware of the restraints and that there's only so many stats for so many people. I just think that not even positionally, but just like parts of the field wise, like heat map wise, it feels like that that center of the field where the inside linebacker lives has sort of been like a dead spot for the UGA offense for the last three years. And the easiest way to remedy that is tight ends. And so mm-hmm. I would say not just tight end catches, but tight end catches across the middle. So what do you want to see this? Like, so we talked about stats we're looking to look for, and you kind of got into what you want to see, but is there anything in particular that you're looking for when we go into this game? Like things that would make you feel better about stuff or just 
uh, interesting questions that you have going forward. Uh, I am going to be watching James Coley's play calling pretty closely, I would say. Uh, I want to see who stands out in the receiving core, since, you know, of course, we know Tyler Simmons is going to do fine, most likely. I kind of want to see who steps up next, and if we end up throwing a lot and, and spreading the ball around to that receiving core, um, and, and trusting the talent that's coming up, or are we going to be you know, chalking it up to freshmen receiving, uh, you know, new receivers kind of thing and saying, ah, we'll play it when it looks better kind of thing. You know, it's the beginning of season, still shaking off cobwebs, whatever. Um, and I do want to see if he, he does use the tight ends more often. Um, I want to see how he, how Jake Fromm plays differently in this, uh, new scheme. If there is a new scheme, uh, and just kind of how our offense is, is looking in general, like, is it the same Georgia that we saw last year, which was a great Georgia, but I want to see what kind of differences, uh, come about. Is it quicker? Is it, you know, is it, uh, do we spread the field a lot better? Are we playing more of a short game and, you know, running the clock faster? What, what does it look like? Um, second, I do want to see Kirby's been talking a lot about havoc rate, which I think is neat. He must have some new grad assistants that are running all that data. Um, talking about havoc, or he just listens to our show. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, it's um, not a, it's not an uncommon concept. I know, but you know, you can dream. But anyway, I, you know, Kirby's been talking about havoc rate a lot, and and I think it is definitely something that needs to be improved. And I think it's going to be something that a lot of people are looking for, not just me. I mean, I don't think that's a, a unique concept to be. Uh, it was our team last year left something to be desired as far as sacks in a game went essentially like i know you and i both we we threw out a lot of over-unders that were typically higher than the game ended up being uh as far as sacks went in a game and i'm kind of hoping that again we come out to this game this conference opener and we we play like it's a conference opener not just the first game of the season necessarily um and, and i'd like to see you know a little bit more havoc especially from the the defensive backs and kind of see who's going to be stepping up who's going to be doing what who's playing what role what do we look like without deandre baker etc 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 so that's kind of my dreams what about you so the there's a couple of things um i want to see good run fills Keshawn vaughn is a very good running back that we didn't have to play last year because he kind of had the no sean marino treatment where he just got sad at the beginning of the year because i don't know reasons and he's very very good he's a big back he's fast he's sort of like a nick chubb type he's probably a little shiftier than that not quite that you know like bowling ball rolling downhill but he'll hit you and he's a very good back so you know just can we get guys in the right place which you know the first week of the year that's always an issue but if this is a team that has a top three level you know ceiling at the very most at the very least you want to see people in the right place most of the time um you know, how do our cornerbacks high, high handle Kalijah Lipscomb, who's a very, very good shorter wide receiver. He's really good in space. He's going to put a lot of pressure on quarterbacks and underneath routes, but he can also run deep. He's fast as hell. Um, and just looking, how does Eric Stokes and probably Mark Webb, because he lines up in the slot a lot, and I guess DJ Daniels now, how do they look against that? Because this is a very, very important first test because – he is legitimately, Kalajalik Lipscomb is one of the better wide receivers we're going to see out all year. And I'm I'm even counting Alabama in that. He is very good. Oh. Um, and, you know, he's not necessarily like your Jerry Judy, like 6'8", whatever, superhuman cyborg or whatever. But he is a very good wide receiver who's very good or who was very good last year. And, you know, the other, the, the last guy is they have actually a pretty good tight end, Jared Pinkney, who is sort of, I'm trying to think of who to compare him to. 
maybe like an Artie Lynch type, like a, just a little bit taller, but you know, a, a taller Isaac Nata. Maybe he didn't, doesn't mm-hmm. quite have Isaac Nata's athleticism, but like can knows how to catch the ball, knows how to catch those really annoying underneath routes and comebacks and quick digs and drags and crossing and all that. And he will just play havoc on an inside linebacking core. Now, I think we have a very good inside linebacking core, but I think this will be a really interesting test for them because that is a place where even good, you know, having a good tight end is something that will cause even a good inside linebacking core, uh, like just conniption fits. So I really am interested to see those three sort of like position versus position mashups. I've heard through the grapevine that Nolan Smith is looking very good. So mm-hmm. I just want to see what, what does he look like? What's his first step look like? You know, Adam Anderson was a guy last year who just didn't see a lot of playing time, not because he wasn't good, but because frankly, he didn't have the body to hold up in the run. Nolan Smith probably does. So my question is, if we see Nolan Smith out there, is he out there for all three downs? Is he trusted enough to contain the edge, to run, to do more than just put his hand in the dirt and run after the quarterback? Because if that's the case, then the SEC should really be worried. Because there's not really a question about whether or not he can rush the passer. He definitely can. So the question is just, what does, how often is he out there? If he's out there just on third down, that's probably about his average result. But if we're putting him out there, you know, first snap of the game, that's very impressive in terms of his development and just what he looks like. Uh, and then and can I see his smile from the stands? I mean, 100% you I will be able to. Uh, <laughs> and then how dominant is the O-line? You know, this is not a particularly good Vanderbilt defense, despite, you know, having some talent and a lot of seniors. Uh, this is a defensive line that the offensive line should be able to push around. So this is not actually a stat I'm going to look for because I don't really know how to measure this, but how many times are we going to see the old like DeAndre Swift runs into the middle of the line. DeAndre Swift runs out of the back of the middle of the line and runs for like an 80 yard touchdown. Because if talent holds true in this matchup, that's, that will happen. You know, Derek Mason is known as a guy who will call some blitzes on you. And he is a very good offensive mind. I think he comes off of the Stanford, the Stanford tree. Uh, and he, I, he is a creative play caller. And so I, I'm not going to say that like this offensive line isn't going to give up a sack or anything because you know, Todd Grantham proved that anybody can get sacks. It's just about like what happens afterwards. But I, I mean, this should definitely be a game where if we had access to the minutia stats, which we don't right now, we would see line yards per carry pretty significant where we would see, mm-hmm. you know, uh, stuff rate very low where we would see clean, a lot of clean pockets. And just, these are all sort of like bellwether, like canary indicators for me, because like, this is the kind of team where we should be able to do that. And if we can't, it's a concern. And if and if we can and we just blow them out because the offensive line just, you know, gives from a clean pocket all day and he just carves them up, then that it doesn't necessarily tell us anything good, but it doesn't tell us anything bad, which is a good thing. And then finally, you know, what does the wide receiving core look like? And this isn't really something that's going to be answered immediately, but you know, we have had times, and this was a thing with JJ Holloman last year, where we've had wide receivers come out of nowhere. So I'm interested to see does Tyler Simmons step up and assume the mantle of wide receiver one? Do we see somebody does Demetrius Robinson live up to hype? Do we see Larry Cager, the guy the transfer from Miami? Do we see a, you know, a freshman come in, either Hazelwood or Pickens, and like really impress? That won't necessarily tell us how good the wide receivers core is going to be, but it will tell us who we need to look for. And that I think is an important thing. Uh, but that's about, that's, I mean, I have those written down and that's what I'm going to have in my notebook when we, when I watch the game Saturday. So, Oh yeah, absolutely. So over unders, let's get into some over unders. Do you want to hit me with your first one? <clears throat> yeah, we'll go back and forth here, right? 
Mm-hmm. Um, over under 4.5 Zamir White carries. I'd like to say over. I'd like to th- I'd like to think that everybody will get 5 to 10. But that's never mind. Wait. I have to actually think about well, how we'll have five able-bodied running backs. Here's the, here's the other thing that makes this tricky. If he's on the bus, it's almost a, it's a pretty good bet that it's an over. But we're not mm. going to see the travel roster until tomorrow. That's true, yeah. I'm going to well, s- they're going to take are they going to take four or five running backs with them? Well, that's a question. I'm going to say yeah, over so. and tentatively. I don't feel I'd super like to say good over as well. At it. Yeah. All right, what's your first one? Uh, I'm going to skip my first one because it's, it's silly, but it's a, it's a real stat. Um, over under three and a half sacks for UGA. Huh? I think that's reasonable. Either way, it's reasonable. Like three sacks is fine. I'm going to say under, and that's not because I don't think we'll have a lot of havoc plays. It's because I think with a first time starting quarterback against a good defensive line, they are not going to give him a lot of deep drops. So we're, that's true. So we're going to have to like we will probably get two sacks just from totally dismantling their line a couple of times. Mm-hmm. But I do have concerns about them giving him a five stop drop ever. Yeah, I yeah I mean, I feel like this could just be me be me uh, misremembering, but I feel like there have been games in the past year or two where in the very beginning of the game, like. UGA kind of lures them into like a false sense of security or at least puts them in a position where they have to throw. Uh, and they do a very good job of that on third down. Um, and so I'm thinking there has to be moments where we put them in third down, they have to throw it. And that's when we kind of go to town and we'll get a couple sacks like that. They're going to have to change their game plan based off of moments like that. So I think that we will, we could very easily see two to three sacks in the first half. And then the game will get a lot more conservative regardless of the score. Um, this isn't necessarily a game I would think Vanderbilt is Vanderbilt's going to play as well as they can, but it's not a game. They're going to come out like guns a blazing and try to like shoot the moon necessarily. So I don't think that there's going to be a lot of moments where they're like just dropping bombs all night. So I think I could see, see it going both ways. All that, all that being said, I'm going to say over just to play it differently um, and say, I, I hope to see four sacks tonight. Okay. Um, finally, over under 9.5 Havoc plays. And I'm going to define this as sacks, interceptions, pass breakups, forced fumbles. Anything else you want to throw in there? I think it's good. Can you give us an idea of what was an average last year for Havoc plays? If you were anywhere between 6 and 7, you were in really good shape. The average uh-huh. was probably pulled down by having a long tail, so I'm going to say it's probably more like 4.5, but that's out of my butt. <laughs> Okay, uh, I'm gonna say under. So not, nine point five, nine point five is a lot. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a bold statement. I'm gonna. It's s- not. I'm totally gonna, unheard of though. I'm gonna say over. Okay. A just because I like like actually betting something and not saying the same thing, but B mm-hmm. because I think there's an outside chance that if we force Vanderbilt's quarterback to throw that he'll make some mistakes. And I'm not saying so, he's going to have like a Cole McDonald, like five interception game. I just think it's very possible that like, there's just a lot of pass breakups because he's just thrown it all over. Yeah. So sacks to force fumbles, like with sacks, interceptions, pass breakups and force fumbles. Can you give us a breakdown of what you think? I, where, where are those? I could probably see like from? two sacks. Well, let's say three sacks, two picks, three f- pass breakups and a fumble. Uh, huh. 
Okay. So three hooks. Just hooks, curious. Three hooks, a fumble. That puts me at nine. Uh-huh. Hmm. Let's say two force fumbles. Probably recover one. That puts us at okay. ten and gets us over. That's a, okay. that's I don't think very likely, but I I don't think it's as unlikely as it seems just sitting here talking about it. Yeah. It's not too crazy. I will say if you add another force fumble, because turnovers are fifty fifty, that means they're going to need to fumble four times most likely to No no no. I don't I don't mean fumble recovered, I mean literally force fumbles. Okay. Fumbles cost. Gotcha. Okay. Alright, my last one is what's the chance over under 12 Uncle Rico snaps? And Uncle Rico for those that may not have listened to previous episodes is indeed Stetson Bennett. He is my Uncle Rico. So how much of Uncle Rico are we going to see? Is this going to be a game where we keep Jake Fromm in just to get oh, the snaps? Oh no. Or oh, no. If we get if we get up by three touchdowns, I cannot imagine him not being in. Like He might play the whole third and fourth quarter just because we are thin at quarterback and there's a drop off. Mm-hmm. And so... yeah. I, I'm going to say over because even I I think that even if it's closer than we want it to be, the moment they feel comfortable, they're just putting them in. Yeah. Sweet, sweet Uncle Rico. Uh, let me throw another fan favorite at you then. Over under uh, 2.5 field goals for Hot Rod. We all know it to be true. Two and a half field goals? Hmm. <laughs> yeah. I just, I'm going to say under just because I don't think he is gonna have a lot of opportunities i just don't yeah. see them getting a lot of stops Two, like I'll make if, it, if you would say two if you said two let me say 1.5 instead Ooh, okay that that makes it a little bit oh yeah that makes it a lot harder uh 1.5 i'm gonna say over tentatively but i feel mm-hmm. like it might be two okay i'm gonna say under i don't think there's only gonna be one opportunity that to really or one need for it necessarily Maybe close to halftime or later in the game, kind of thing. I don't know, but I I'll say one just to to you know differentiate. Which brings us to our game predictions. Yeah. So, uh, as has been well documented over the past episode or two, we are sort of in a stats lurch here in the sense that we don't have we do now have Bill Connolly's new SP plus numbers, but they are. A lot less granular, and that granularity was so limited. A little bit of what we relied on. So coming to this game, uh, it's it looks like a twenty-one point spread. Usually, minus twenty-one is the current spread. Nineteen point five was when it first came out. SP plus That's has UGA winning by this game by an average of twenty-three point eight uh, points. I so you know it's hard to do any comparison with what data that we have other than just gut instinct. And even though this is a flawed way of looking at it and kind of is apples to oranges, I'm going to do some just sort of like historical data. And so if we just go back one year, so let's take, so if we're talking about raw S and P plus number, that is your adjusted points per game, right? How much better are you than the average, um, the average team? UGA's current raw S and P plus number is 29 point something, 29.4. Vanderbilt's is 5.6. So I just want to give you some sort of like historical comparisons at the end of the past two or three seasons for what those two teams were. Okay. So at the end of the regular season last year, the closest team in raw S&P plus to Georgia's preseason S&P plus is the end of last season before the playoff was Clemson at 29.7. The closest team to Vanderbilt at 5.6 was Tennessee at 5.4. Uh-huh. Okay, 
If we go back to 2017, this is again into the regular season. The closest team to U, uh, to UGA at the time was uh, Ohio State at 30.9, and the closest team to Vanderbilt or to Vanderbilt was at 5.4 would be West Virginia at 5.6. So I'm just giving you these names to sort of like help us hone in a little bit about comparatively what kinds of teams are we talking about. We go back to 2016, the closest team to UGA at the end of the regular season was Clemson at 28.7, who eventually won the national championship. And the closest team to Vanderbilt was at... 5.4 5.4 exactly Mississippi State, which would have been Zach, uh, Dak Prescott's first year, six and seven. Not Prescott, uh, Fitzgerald's first year at six and seven. So that's all a way of saying that e- even if we sort of like narrow that range down and we just look at last year, this is, this looks like a Tennessee last year versus Georgia last year game to me. To, and that kind of helps me kind of round in what I think the talent is, if that makes any sense. I think what that tells us is that Vanderbilt is a slightly above average team. They have some very good players, particularly skilled players on offense. Simultaneously, they are limited on defense. They have a lot of seniors on defense, but this is one of those things where last year, so like they, they have, this is one of those like sort of traditional, (laughs) really interesting things where like uh, last year uh, they had, um, they had a lot of juniors on their, on their defense, but their defense was bad. If that makes sense, so they're returning yeah. a lot of they're they're returning a lot of juniors from a defense that was. Hold on, let me get the S and P plus defensive rankings up here. So they're returning a lot of juniors from a defense that was ranked fifty uh, seventh last year, right? Oof. So just stock average. So even if you sort of like bump that up, it doesn't super make me feel good if i'm vanderbilt you know and i think that that 23 point 24 point range sounds a pretty good two teams with comparatively similar s&p pluses last year georgia and tennessee the final score was 38 12 that was sort of like a house of horrors for tennessee in many ways uh it was just a bad game for them from the outset and it continued to be bad all the way throughout so if we consider that to be like sort of our boundary front you know back end of the tail worst worst possible scenario for vanderbilt that all sort of rounds me into vanderbilt scores a little bit more but so does georgia i think vanderbilt will probably get georgia with some dumb over the middle pass to either Keyshawn vaughn or pinkney the tight end i also think that Kalija lipscomb is probably too i think each one of those players will probably have a touchdown and each one of them will be on a play that should have been covered, but was a clear coverage bust because, you know, it's the first game of the season. However, I I have a hard time thinking that even in its basest form, UGA or Vanderbilt's defense is going to stop this offense very often. The offensive line is just too good. The skill talent, while untested, and the wide receiving core is far outmatching anything that Vanderbilt has to offer in the defensive backfield. And frankly, the running back depth is just terrifying. So that all leads me. That's all a long way of saying 45-21 <laughs> Georgia. I like it. I like it so much in fact that I don't even feel like I need to illustrate or defend my own <laughs> Yeah, I had to, <laughs> suggestion here cuz it's not that far off. I had to do some really like obtuse like that that was some really like sideways logic there, so I hope you'll forgive what was But it worked. I like what you got to. Um, I, I had to stretch that. 
Uh, our predictions are pretty close. Mine has a, a bit wider of a margin with UGA coming out 45 and Vanderbilt sitting at 17 is what I'm thinking. Yeah, I mean, it. yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's football. I'm just ready for football. I'm excited about football. Here's what Through talking to you about this football over the last almost hour now, I am excited about football. Good. Here's what is I going just to happen. Let me, let me give you my stone cold lock of the century of the week. You ready sure. for this? Yep, do it. Okay. It is very, very likely that Vanderbilt is going to have a play that is going to piss everybody here off. Oh, 100%. And when that happens, you just have to be calm. <laughs> but they are whose gonna fault have... is it going to be? Is it going to be something like we messed up or they yeah, just no, got it's by gonna, real You know what well? it's going to be? It's going to be like a Brent Peakney touchdown over the middle where he like dodges a bad tackle from uh, Richard LeCount and then just like slowly trundles 50 yards for a touchdown. And there is going to be a time to uh, on Saturday when it's closer than it feels like it should be and everyone is pissed off and anxious you just kind of have to wait through it It, i promise you it will happen you know i mean this is a game where execution is probably going to be bad on both sides but ultimately talent will probably win out and so what that means is there's going to be times when they play really bad football both ways we are the more talented team we will almost certainly win it may not be pretty all the way through Right. Even if we are dominant, even if we beat them 45-17 or 52-17 or something ridiculous, it still is going to look ugly at points. Anyway, that's what I got. And I'm sticking to it. We got a few questions this week. Yeah, we do. Hey, also, during during this recording, Dr. James Barefield came through in the clutch. I know. He is, so he, is, he is days away from his first medical school test. And because he took the Hippocratic Oath to do no harm, and he, well, he probably hasn't. Yeah, I think he has. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> has he already? Since he <laughs> believes in the Hippocratic Oath of, take, of doing no harm, he knew it would harm this, this thing, this thing that we've made together if he did not provide us with a troll corner of the week. They're not very trolly, though. No, he came to play with us in the space, though. And he I did. appreciate and that. Yes, I appreciate it and love him for it. Let's hammer out some quick Ask CBCs before we get to the James Bearfield Troll Corner. Uh, but the very first one, and by the way, if you want to hear your question answered on the show, just tag us with hashtag AskCBC, and you will hear your question on the show as well in a following episode. You can also send them through regular old Gmail, chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. The first one comes from Ben Lawrence, dogs versus Cthulhu. Who wins? So first off, this is my brother. Yep. Um, I just want to, I want that known. Um, who has a, uh, uh, distinctly Mishkatonic bent to his humor. So you'll have to forgive him. Uh-huh. I mean, look, Cthulhu is life. Cthulhu is love. Cthulhu has two or three people in the UGA staff with the old Innsbruck look almost certainly. So, I mean, obviously <laughs> Cthulhu wins, but I think a better question is this assumes that the dogs would be the forces of good in this situation. Uh-huh. And I think if we've taken anything from the Kirby Smarts tenure, it's that if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. And there is no better way to cheat in the SEC than allying yourself with a dark god. <laughs> uh, the next question comes from Hunter Odom. What are your thoughts on the Vandy tradi- tradition of blowing the Admiral? And would you please explain what that is first? Because I actually didn't. Anytime look it up. they score a touchdown, they have this giant air horn. Mm-hmm. and it's not an air horn it's like a ship's it's it's like it's a, a ship Vuvuzela. oh okay man and it's like on top of the press box and anytime they score a touchdown they just go <laughs> um, i actually love it because 
when I was in band, anytime they would score, they would do that. And then we would play the, uh, we would try to match that pitch. I think it's like a D flat. Sam Hill will have to correct me. So they would play it and then we would be like, because any, so I, I find it to be delightful because as a tuba player, anything that makes that noise delights me. Yeah. There is absolutely. a part of me and it is not a small one that just loves to watch things that make deep noises go. So I, uh, I, I, I find it to be delightful. <laughs> uh, that's all our questions for this week, other than our hey, favorite I, segment of the show. Can I give... Oh, no, we can do shout-outs to the end. Shout-outs to the end. So yeah, sure. yeah. Favorite, favorite segment of the show. My favorite segment of the show, the Dr. James Bearfield Troll Corner, presented by Cheerwine. It's the wine that gives you diabetes. TM, TM, TM. Number one, not what, but who is Georgia football this year? Pause the podcast and ponder that for a moment. If you're in your car, pull over. Do some breathing exercises and wonder, not what, but who is Georgia football this year? My UGA nihilist answer is that Georgia football is Nick Gatsby because we're trying to look really cool and we've got all this money and we're spending it all, but it's not going to make us who we aren't. And ultimately, we're going to end up face down and dead in a pool. My answer for this season, if I'm not being UGA nihilist, which I'm not for the record, is because that would be weird because we nobody talked, was accusing you nathan we so. we talked to each other way too much for me not to for me to be uga nihilist although if i was that would make sense because that's the most nihilistic thing ever is to have another yep. twitter account that you interact with never mind <laughs> um but i think if we're going with like uga football for this year i'm gonna say and this is not gonna shock you i'm gonna say kylo ren from star wars oh god because no listen Why? listen listen no, no 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 listen bear with me lots okay. of talent uh-huh. pretty sexy Puts, puts on dark airs they probably can't build up back up uh-huh sometimes can be a little bit of a bitch uh wears pants look, way too high wears pants way too high those last two are directed at our fa- at our uh fan base that's correct and finally has a lot of power but can't live up to their shorter dad Ooh, <laughs> the shorter dad and listen, uh, yeah. it, it hurts me deeply that I just had a metaphor so tortured that it ended up with Nick Saban being Han Solo. But I just think <laughs> I just think it's right. I want to think that maybe okay, I've I've gone deeper. I've gone much deeper in my mind, but I've gone all the way to Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg's character in um Shaun of the Dead. Okay. Okay. Um he's somebody that he has all this he has like an unlocked potential. And he begins realizing that he does have value and that he can be good and that he can do good things for other people that he has disappointed in the past. And now he is deciding to use his his power of humanity, essentially, for good. And he is going to save the world, so to speak. Um, but also, you know, sometimes he thinks maybe we can just go down to the bar and have a pint and let this whole thing blow over. I think that's kind of where Georgia football is right now for me. Like, on the cusp of unlocking that unbridled potential, but we could just as easily just go down to the pub and have a pint and wait for this whole thing to blow over. And this whole thing to blow over, meaning Alabama and Clemson's dynasty. <laughs> That's my not, not who, not what, but who. Uh, second question is, do you think that powerful Vandy home crowd will rattle our boys since this is their first game? <laughs> that is a joke. <laughs> uh, okay. Go to the next one. Who do you think will be this year's offensive and defensive standouts? What is this? What is this real question about football? Uh, real answer is going to be... I actually think it's going to be like Tay Crowder is a pretty uh-huh. good answer. And no, you know what? Eric Stokes on the defense and for the offense. Uh, let me go with, weirdly, Brian Harrion. 
way underrated cat. Bryant. <laughs> Real quick cat. He's quick. I like he's answers. also he's also underrated. Um Yeah, Brian Harry is not too wild. I mean, everybody's uh kind of focused on Zamir White right now, but I think Brian Harrion has done well in the past few years and done really like not too bad. Um I am excited about Eli Wolf, uh the tight end Juco transfer. I'm also really excited about uh dj daniel to see what dj daniel has to do um one of the cornerbacks another juco transfer i'm just all about the juco's man that is our show we've done it we finished the first episode of the season uh this has been chapel bell curve if you would like you can find us on all the above itunes google play all those things where you can subscribe to a podcast if you want to get in touch with us on facebook or instagram or twitter uh you can find us just at chapel bell curve or email us at chapel bell curve at gmail.com you can also hashtag ask cbc to have your questions answered on the show if you enjoyed today's episode you can leave us a rating and a review you can also tell a friend tell a friend that might like the show uh, if they like Georgia football or they like stats or they just want to know more about Georgia football or they just really like podcasts and Athens, then let them know. Maybe they'll enjoy the show. Uh, be sure to say hi to us if you ever catch us in the Classic City, which is where you'll find us over the next week or so. Uh, One of the freshmen in the Redcoats, he plays trombone, and for the life of me, I can't remember his name. I'm not going to try to say it because I'll be wrong. He was like, hey, man, I really like your podcast. I was like, oh, did you start listening to it this year? And he's like, no, I listened to it in high school. I really like it. So thank you, unnamed trombone player. If you (laughs) find me, if you see me again, you need to just look at me and say like, hey, motherfucker, my name's blank. And then I'll remember. (laughs) Also, second shout out. uh, Battle Him Soloists were announced yesterday. They're all really great. Uh, but in particular, I don't think she listens to this podcast, but Maggie Hines uh, what got the was one of the Battle Home Solos, who is a Carrollton alum and the only female this year, which I'm super, Ooh. super jacked about. Anyway, finish the Aladero. <laughs> uh, if you ever catch us in the Classic City, feel free to say hey. Uh, we like to say hey back. Uh, that's where you can mostly find us uh, when we're not tucked away in our house like nathan's going to be over this weekend or in atlanta mm-hmm. being a big fat nerd at dragon con which you is right. what i'm going to be doing you right but hey catch us next week in the classic city when we review the vandy game and the top three best nashville hot chicken sandwiches but until then as always go, go dogs, dogs.